Welcome to the Good Fiction Podcast. Join us as we continue with Things That Charlie Did, Chapter 24. It was a struggle, but Charlie finally made it out of the airport. He was taken to a room and forced by a guard who spoke very broken English to strip. He agreed only because he had been warned by Father Guerrero that they might spend some time searching him and questioning him at the airport. They searched his clothes, his baggage, and even took the money he carried out of his wallet and looked at it one bill at a time. Then it was on to the rental car where, despite the fact that he had made reservations, no one had ever heard of him before. Luckily, there was a counterattendant that, although he didn't speak English, was able to handle the entire thing simply by tapping on a computer while looking at Charlie's American Express card. The car was older. It had to be at least 10 years old. The odometer said 78,000 miles, but Charlie doubted from its looks that it had been through that few of miles. It reeked of cigarettes and other odors that were equally as repulsive, although he couldn't really put his finger on what the smells were. Thank God he'd long since given up that occasional smoke. He was thinking as he cranked the engine that smoking was one thing he didn't have to worry about anymore. The car did fire right up along with the AM radio that was turned up full blast. He reached quickly to eliminate the noise and then tried the AC. First low, then high, but both only brought warm air through the vents. His new ride had no AC. He had a map that showed where the embassy was. It wouldn't do much good to stop and ask someone. The car was full of gas. That's what the gauge said anyway. He pulled out into traffic once he negotiated his way from the airport. At least the aged car helped him to blend in. All the cars were about the same age as they drove by. Most were even older and more ragged looking than what he was driving. The streets, although new looking, were strewn with litter. Stands of people selling their goods and generally unsavory looking persons just standing around. The look from the air had been deceiving. A quick study of the map gave him the general idea of where he wanted to go. He started off pointed in the correct direction. He recognized some of the street names from the map, but it only took a couple of turns from him to be totally lost. Not good. These glass buildings behind him now, the neighborhood he ended up in, didn't look very nice. Not only was there obvious poverty, but the crowd that lived there looked even rougher than those who were standing on the streets peddling their wares from their stands. A left turn here, a right turn there, only got him deeper into a world that was hidden from his window seat on that plane. His first impression as he was stared down by the teens wearing sleeveless t-shirts and passing a joint was that the place reeked of anger. The houses, small and past their need for repair, 
as if someone had long given up the task and accepted reality. How frustration must have built in the spirits of these young men as they discussed their hopeless situations so close to the glass buildings that symbolized success. Success for them was going to be their rank in an organized crime family that smuggled drugs. He prayed to himself that Maria hadn't foolishly come to a place like the one he was driving through in the hopes that she could do what they had done in Cuidad Norte. Endlessly winding his way through these neighborhoods wasn't going to work. He couldn't even find the streets that he was driving on on his map. It looked like he was going to have to stop and ask someone somehow how to get to the Mexican embassy. Where though? Who? There was the language problem, then the safety problem. He needed to do something though. The skyline of the downtown area had gotten even further behind him now. Surely he was nowhere near where he needed to be. The decision was made he needed to stop and ask regardless of the safety issue. He'd been in worse situations than this and had an occasional headache to prove it. Come on, getting knocked around by soldiers carrying machine guns on a deserted jungle road was worse than this. Where was a group of those kids passing the joint when he needed them? Hot sun bared down on an equally hot pavement, a good reason for even kids sneaking a joint to stay inside. He turned the car around right in the middle of the street in an effort to go back to one of those groups. If he could find them, that is, traffic was just as absent as the people making the current portion of his journey seem like an expedition through a place where only the past had lived, dead, ghostly, angry, and sad, all rolled into one, back toward the buildings, and people, even though they didn't seem all that friendly, seemed like the best bet. Heading that way, or what he thought was that way, brought no relief. The surroundings didn't even look familiar going in that direction. To say Charlie was lost was an understatement. A strange city, a different language, and now there was something else wrong, too. The rental car started to sputter and cough. The alternator light, brake light, heat light all came on at the same time. He lost power steering, and the brakes had lost their power, too. The car was dead. He pumped the brakes and safely stopped the car. It didn't really matter, though. With no other traffic on the street, the car would have rolled to a safe spot on its own anyway. Repeatedly, Charlie tried to restart his ride. He got nothing but noise, and the engine just couldn't get enough of something to turn over. He'd heard that sound a couple of times before in his life, despite the fact that the gas gauge needle was snugly against the F mark, his ride was out of gas. The gauge, as he had dismissed the thought earlier, was broken. He couldn't remember having seen a gas station. He was going to have to find one, though. What a mess. He got out of the car, locked it, and started walking with the map in hand. There needed to be some note made about where he'd left the car, Otherwise, he might not be able to find it. 
he stopped and tried once more to locate on the map the street name where his car had died. No such luck, though. The map was really turning out to be useless. In frustration, he quickly started to fold it, not paying attention to following the previously made creases or if this piece went the wrong way or that. Stupid. Charlie heard a voice behind him. He turned, and sitting on the ground not too far off to his right was a young man. He'd missed his presence while gazing uselessly at the map. The older teen looked rough, just like the others he'd seen. Blue jeans that held more dust than blue, well-worn boots that surely had been passed on several times, and a tight plaid button-down had the sleeves cut off, undoubtedly to provide some relief on these hot days. Why are you here? He continued. You looking for crack? Girls? What? The smirk on his face was threatening. His English, perfect. Charlie decided he'd ignore the possibility that this could be a dangerous confrontation and just try to get his business taken care of. Hey, great, someone who speaks English. Listen, could you help me? I... What do you mean, he interrupted. Great. You think it's great to speak English? He stood now, muscular, light brown skin, dark hair, parted down the middle and felt just past his ears and just above his plaid collar, and dark brown eyes gave him a look of confidence. He spat on the ground. The spit landed only an inch or two from Charlie's right foot. He felt intimidated now. Should he be scared, though? There was a difference. Cautious seemed to be more appropriate. It's the only language I speak, replied Charlie, with the tone of voice that indicated, look, it's not my fault. The young man wasn't going to back down, though. You got a problem, he asked. The angry young man said so in an angry voice. A question that really doesn't ever require an answer. It's simply a challenge. No, I don't have a problem. This is where Charlie came to a fork in the road. If he responded, no, do you have a problem? Then the fight was, of course, on. The other road he could take was to simply explain his situation. This was the smart route, obviously, so he took it. I just need to find someone who speaks enough English to help me figure out how to get out of here. No one's going to help you. He spat again. This time it was closer to Charlie's foot than the last time. Charlie held his hands to indicate that he didn't want any trouble. Maybe not such a good move. It indicated weakness in the eyes of this angry young man, however. Look, I just want to get gas for my car and be on my way, okay? The kid looked at him again, sternly. It's going to cost you. What? You own a gas station? Oops, that may have been a little too stern and sarcastic of a response. He regretted it as soon as he said it. He was relieved at the calmness of the reply. It didn't really matter what the guy said, just so it wasn't in a tone of voice that was going to indicate that a fight was about to break out. I'll get you gas. One gallon. Ten U.S. 
10 what? Dollars? asked Charlie. Yeah, $10, said the kid. That's a little outrageous, don't you think? The young man smiled now. He nodded his head up and down to indicate that, yes, it was outrageous. It didn't matter, though. That's what he wanted, and that's what he was going to get if Charlie wanted the gas. A gallon would get him 15 miles down the road, maybe. It would be enough to at least get him away from that portion of town. That was worth a measly 10 bucks, he thought. The young man looked pleased to have placed this out-of-place American in the situation he was now in. Just like he'd been taught, the man was flesh and blood just like him. Nothing special. A spoiled brat born into opportunity by chance. A spoiled brat that didn't recognize the fact that he was no better than anyone else. Right now, he was getting a taste of what it felt like to be in need. Ten bucks it is, said Charlie. He made sure to say it as if the money was going to hurt him, not wanting to let on to the fact that he could have paid the amount many, 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 many times over from the cash he was carrying in his wallet. He tried to look unhappy. Maybe I'll charge you more, the young man didn't buy Charlie's acting job. I don't think so. You want to make 10 bucks? Then go get me some gas, okay? Oops, there was that regret again. The young man turned and started walking away. He took several steps before he turned back around and motioned for Charlie to follow. The deal was on. So he followed. They walked about a half a block. The car was still in view before they rounded a corner and walked another half a block or so. To their left were the shanty-like houses that were cramped together along every street Charlie had been on since getting lost. To the right, there was more of the same. The young man looked back and motioned once more for Charlie to follow as he took a quick right turn. Now they were in the weed-infested brown and yellow grass of the yard in front of a sickly-looking wooden frame house. He followed the young man to the side of the house where a rusty barrel had gathered rainwater. There were scrapped pieces of wood and aluminum. There Charlie saw the first sign of life other than the young man he'd seen for quite some time. A waist-high three-by-five window had a very small set of hands holding up thin, lacy, sheer material that was serving as drapes over the windows. Below the hands were a small set of brown eyes and a tiny nose. Charlie pretended not to notice as he went on about his task. He followed the young man to their destination, three rusty gas cans. The gasoline smell gave away the can's contents. Next to the cans was a plastic milk jug. It was dirty, but if that was what he was planning to put the gas in, it would have to do. That's exactly what he did, too. Carefully, he filled the jug with the pinkish liquid. Charlie didn't even want to consider why there might be gas in those cans. There wasn't a car parked at the house, and they surely weren't too worried about the yard. You know, mowing it, it was obvious. Ten dollars, said the young man. 
Charlie pulled out his wallet, skillfully grabbed a $10 bill from it without letting on to how much was actually in there. The bill was snatched from his hand quickly. Where are you trying to go? asked the kid. The Mexican embassy. Do you know where it is? responded Charlie. I'll take you, he said. Ten dollars. Charlie heard giggles coming from the window where the little hands had been. Now a little girl of no more than three or four years old was in full view. The curtain raised above her head with both hands revealed. Long black braided pigtails to go along with the hands and face. Ten dollars wasn't going to be an issue for sure now. You'll show me where the embassy is for ten dollars, asked Charlie. Yes, responded the teenager. He held his hand out for the money. Charlie handed the new $10 bill to him and glanced back at that window. Now, next to the little girl was a young woman, a concerned look on her face. She seemed a little confused at what was happening in her backyard. Wait, said the young man. He held his hand out in a way that reinforced his comment. The young man walked into the house leaving the door open. Rapid-fire Spanish could be heard coming from the inside. The little girl now appeared to be at the back door of the house. She stared at Charlie. He made a crazy face at her that made her giggle. It wasn't long before the young man was back. Come on, I take you. Charlie grabbed the jug of gas and followed the young man as he came outside. This time, they were going back toward the car. A quick pace had him pouring the gas into the car's thirsty tank in no time. The young man took it upon himself to hop in the passenger side. The car chugged a couple of times, but started. They were off, hopefully to find the embassy. The young man pointed in the direction of the skyline if he saw a gas station, he was going to have to stop, period. In the meantime, he tried to start a conversation with the young man. Was that your wife, he asked, motioning back towards the house where they had gotten the gas. Yes, and my daughter, Vanessa. She's four, he said. Vanessa, that's a pretty name. The young man, it dawned on Charlie, looked very young to have a four-year-old child. The young man shook his head in agreement. Things were loosening up a bit, each needing the other, each suspicious of the other, but to an ever-decreasing degree, slowly winning each other's trust in places where trust was most likely slowly given for fear of it being violated in the blink of an eye. Somehow, the innocence of the young man's little girl gave them common ground. It gave them a point to agree on. I'm Charlie. Giving the man his name was just as good as saying, come on, let's stop this attitude stuff and be friends. Carlos, the young man accepted the offer. A large sign reading Exxon in big blue and black block letters surprised Charlie on the right side of the road. It was a familiar sign in such a faraway place. It didn't stop Charlie from missing the opportunity to pull into the small gas station for gas. He put as much gas in as he could fit into the tank, so much in fact that it spilled on the ground from trying to overfill it. 
The attendant was more than happy to take the U.S. money, and within just a few minutes, they were on their way. Carlos pointed out a turn here and a turn there, and eventually they were back among the buildings that made up the skyline. More twisting and turning put them in front of the building that was obviously the embassy. The familiar green, white, and red flag flew proudly outside the white concrete two-story modern building. A black iron fence outlined a perfectly manicured and lush green yard, which was dotted with trees in different stages of life. Carlos pointed to the building, smiled, and reached for the door handle. No, wait, let me go in and then I'll drive you back, said Charlie. It's okay, I'll walk. Carlos went back toward the handle. No, it's too far, said Charlie. It won't be that long. Carlos took his hand off the door handle and seemed to be contemplating the offer. He decided it was probably a good idea and agreed. A small parking lot to the side of the embassy was provided for visitor parking. Surprisingly, the lot was mostly empty. Carlos seemed to be in deep thought and settling into the time he was going to have to wait in the car. Charlie hopped out and walked to a side entrance that was labeled in several different languages, English included, saying visitor's entrance. Once inside, there was a receptionist desk placed in a spot that would surely intercept all visitors. The young girl at the desk gave that friendly receptionist sort of smile, then spoke to Charlie in perfect English. He even detected a slight Texas twang. Strange. Can I help you, sir? She asked. Well, yes. I, well, I have sort of a problem that I'd like to talk to someone about. He looked around and for the first time noticed his surroundings more in detail. The receptionist's desk was in a lavishly decorated hallway, rich, deep, chocolate-colored paneled walls with huge portraits of obviously famous individuals of which Charlie had no idea of who they were lined the walls, plush carpeting under his feet, and the sweet smell of potpourri rounded out the view. Along each wall, close to the receptionist's desk, were four elegantly upholstered chairs. The people sitting in those chairs embarrassingly turned away as Charlie noticed their presence for the first time. Are you a Mexican citizen? asked the receptionist. The young lady already knowing what his answer was going to be. Well, no, said Charlie. American, she asked. Yes, but the American embassy is located, she began. No, no, interrupted Charlie. I need to speak to someone here. I'm in the right place, I assure you. Can you tell me the nature of your visit to the Mexican embassy? Asked the girl. Charlie looked at the others sitting quietly and obviously waiting for their turn to see someone too. He made sure the receptionist saw him take a look at the other people. He did so in the hope that the receptionist would pick up on the fact that the nature of his visit was personal. She got it, bright girl. She listened as he explained in the hushed voice of a simple whisper. 
Look, I can get you in to see the ambassador's assistant. You can explain your situation to her and they'll take it from there. You're going to have to wait though. These other people were before you and had appointments. That's fine, said Charlie, I'll wait. He sat in one of the chairs and began to rehearse in his mind just what he needed to say. That caused his thoughts to drift to Maria. Where was she? Was she okay? And then he did something he hadn't done in a long time. He silently prayed. Thank you for listening. Join us next time as we continue with Things That Charlie Did. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.